Well, again, welcome. I'm Jeff. Um, excited about the, uh, the message this morning. Excited about this series that we're doing. Let me give you a little context, though. The context uh, of this series is that we're in Lent. We're in the season of Lent. And if you're like me and didn't grow up in the church, or if you're like a friend of mine who said, I grew up in the church and I understand less than you understood about it, if the Lent is the season from Ash Wednesday to Easter, Easter's coming up, it's April 16th this year. If you know how Easter is, like what date Easter is and why, then you have a PhD in, in God. I don't know. Easter moves around. And, uh, and Ash, or, uh, Lent is the 40 days plus the six Sundays, 40 plus six, 46 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter. And it's the time that the church prepares itself for uh, Easter. It's the time that the church leans sort of extra into their relationship with God so that we can be ready to celebrate sort of this pinnacle of the year. For us, the pinnacle of the Christian year is Easter. It's the good news. It's what we're all about. It's that Jesus Christ is our answer. He is the one that came from the Father in order to provide forgiveness for sin, restore us into a relationship with God, and his resurrection power now exists for us to be transformed and to love and change the world. So this is the good news. This is Easter, right? Yeah, Easter. So we celebrate Easter by anticipating it, by experiencing Lent, by longing for Easter throughout these next 46 days. And so that's the season of Lent. We're in it right now. And so many people in order to lean into God a little further, give up something for Lent. They create a hunger within themselves so that what they're saying is all Lent long, they're saying, oh man, kind of missing that thing. I, God, you're, you're my answer. You're the thing I really long for. I might be missing carbs right now, but I really long for you. Like make my soul long for you the way that my body's longing for carbs. Like do that, God, in my life. So you see there's kind of a leaning in to God for these 46 days. So some of us have given stuff up for Lent. And I just wanted to invite you and remind you that that's where we are. And if you haven't been around for the last couple of weeks or you missed our Ash Wednesday service and didn't hear this invitation, come join us on the Lenten journey. We're going to study the Lord's Prayer during Lent. Ben started it last week, but we're also, many of us are fasting from something during Lent so that we can experience this hunger for God and this leaning in. So I want to just invite you to get on board if you haven't done that yet, because if you haven't done it, it's not like, oh, I failed Lent 101. No, you can just jump on board right now and do it for the 30 days that are left or 28 days, whatever is left and, um, uh, and lean into God with us. So would some of you like even right now just go, okay, I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to give something up. I'm going to like, what? What am I going to do? People have given up chocolate. People have given up alcohol. People have given up carbs. People have, uh, like, one of the things that I'm doing is that I am, I'm giving up everything in the morning except for spending time with God. So no phone, no work, no, inter no uh, email, no uh, Matt Lauer, no Facebook, not doing nothing until I spend time with God in the morning. Like, that's my thing. So when I get up in the morning and I just long to know what, you know, our president did yesterday. I want to check his tweets. I'm like, no, I'm going to see what God has to say to me first. So um, I, I was with some guys for dinner the other night and, uh, and I said, so at the end of our meal, what are you guys doing for Lent? And uh, one of the guys goes, oh, and he reaches to the pizza that was in the middle of the table and he tears off a piece of crust and he tears it in half in like three pieces and he throws it on his plate. I'm like, what in the world? What was that? He goes, for Lent, I decided I was not going to eat every bite on my plate. That's what I was doing for Lent. So that was his, 
And he's in this room and his wife right now is going, seriously, you couldn't even? So uh, I invite you to be a part of Lent with us. Um, but this series we're going to be studying during Lent, uh, how then should we pray? You may be asking that question when you get in your quietest moments. How then should I be praying? When you get a moment and you're like, okay, I'm going to spend some time with God. You may be, and I love the graphics on this series, you know, just this idea of there's so much going on in our world. The problems are huge. People are complex. I'm full of anxiety and motion and confusion and doubt. Like how in the world, what do I pray given the state of the world? How do I pray for the world, for people, for myself? You know, when you, you, know, you get that moment and you think about the loved ones in your life, you get, you think about, I think about my adult kids and that they're, that they're you know, the, the ones that are married and engaged, that, that that would be all that it needs to be. And those that are single, that they would find the, the spouse, Lord willing, that, they, that God has for them, that they would grow in their relationship with God, that they would be safe in this world. They'd find a way to make a living. Like it's overwhelming. How in the world do I pray for all that is going on? Sometimes I don't even like those quiet moments. I know that I jump out of bed really fast in the, mo- in the morning and I don't put my head on the pillow until I'm ready to fall asleep because to let the thing churn of all that's going on and all my anxiety and all my confusion and all the overwhelming needs, it's, how then should we pray in light of all this picture? And Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 6, he said, this then is how you should pray. Here's how you should do it. Not what you should do specifically, but how you should do it. Here, let me teach you about prayer. And Ben began that service, our series last last week on this then is how you should pray. And I want to continue on in just a few few minutes that I have um, with those first lines. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now I'm going to preach for a little bit. And when I run out of time, I'm going to stop. I'm just going to stop. I may not get through my sermon. I'm just going to stop when I'm done. They'll let that be a lesson to many of us. Sometimes we just, when we filled the time, we should stop talking. Okay. But we want to make sure that we've got an opportunity to do a little bit of prayer experience afterward together and some more worship in response. So my apologies if I just run out of time. But uh, this, these words are the beginning of Jesus's instructions on prayer. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is, a, this is a sermon, this is a word, this is a, a, a prayer, uh, a, a teaching that is about the name. This is about God's name. It's centered on this, just, just grammatically, it's centered on this idea of, 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 of God's name. And so we want to talk about why, so why the name? Why would he say, hallowed be your name? So let's look at the idea of name. Why name? Why would name be part of this whole idea? You know, in the Bible, the name, names are really significant. Have you noticed that? There's a lot of bizarre names in the Bible, and, and names are super significant in the Bible. Here's a, here's a quote that uh, I saw in a commentary that I think really reflects what we're talking about here that, that, um, about around the name. In the Bible, a name describes the person, the place, or the object. First of all, there's a description, right? If you notice that about the Bible names, it was, you know, the, the, um, the hill of the Lord or the spring of, of whatever. I mean, it's, they're, they're, there's a description and it indicates the essential character of that to which it is given. So there's a description and an, and an indicating of the character of that thing. So the names in the Bible. So, the, so Abraham's name means father of many. If you know the story of Abraham, from him was going to come a people of descendants were going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. His name means father of many. Israel, his name meant one who strives or one who wrestles with God. That was his story. It was a description of his story, and it was a, an understanding of the character, the essential character of him. 
Jesus' name. Do you know what Jesus' name means? He saves. Jesus' name means he saves. It's the character, the essential character. And so in this first prayer, how then should we pray? Jesus said, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. The name becomes part of it because we're going to talk now, friends, about his character. We're going to talk about the character of God. That's what this is getting at. So what is God's name? What is his name? There are many names for God in the scriptures, and all of them reflect some aspect of his character. There's El, there's Elohim. These are Hebrew words. There's Adonai. There's these compound words, Jehovah, Jireh. Uh, there's all these words in Hebrew that describe a lot of God's character. And if you get any kind of a Bible dictionary online and read about the names of God, it's a fascinating study. You'll learn a ton about the character of God, of who God is. And so that's why, this, because we read about the character in all these beautiful names of God and what they mean, then we bless God's name. We trust in the name of the Lord. We praise his name. Those are all scriptural references. You see how name is character? It's the character of God. It's the understanding of who God is. But there's one name, friends, that is above all the other names for God. It's the par excellence name. It's, it's, it's his personal name, and it's the name that God gives himself, and it is, in Hebrew, Yahweh. It's the name Yahweh. It's a Hebrew word that God gives to himself. I want you to look with me at Exodus chapter 3, and you'll see this place where God gives himself this name. Exodus chapter 3, verses 12 and following, something like that. Um, verse 13. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? The context here, of course, is they're in slavery in Egypt. God has spoken to Moses at the burning bush and said, listen, I want you to go set my people free. And Moses is getting his head around that deal. That's the context. Remember this story? If you don't know these stories, by the way, I didn't grow up with these stories. If you don't know these stories, go read them. You got to go read them. They're so beautiful. They're so great. So this is in Exodus chapter three. So he goes, okay, so if I go to the Israelites and I tell them God spoke to me and told me that or I'm going to set the people free, what am I, who am I going to say? And God said, this is what you're going to say. He goes, tell them, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. He uses the word I am. He uses the form of the verb to be, the present, first person present, I am. Tell them I am. Tell them I am sent you. So we're already, you're starting to see the revealing of God, right? The I am. And then this verse, God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Tell them Yahweh has sent me to you. And he goes on to say, this, this name, this is the name, that, this is going to be my name forever. I'm naming myself. This is the name you're going to call me from generation to generation. This is the name, literally it means this is the name I want to be remembered by. Yahweh. Now go back to these other verses, 14, 15, and see something in there. Verse 15, God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, has sent me to you. Do you see the, the, the Lord, where it says Lord, capital, uh, capitals, L, capital O, capital R, capital D. See that? That's in almost all of your English translations of the Bible. L-O-R-D, capital L. There's lots of times the word Lord is used, either with a capital L, but then small O-R-D. This word with capital L, capital L, look in your Bibles, you'll see it. It's in there. That tells you that it's the name Yahweh. It's God's personal name. 
I'm going to get back to what this is all about with these capital letters in a moment. But that's the Lord's personal name. Yahweh became his name. He goes, this is what I want you to say to people. Yahweh is my name. Yahweh is sending you. And then he goes, and don't forget this name. Use it for all the generations. And in fact, the scriptures went on to use it 6,823 more times in the scriptures. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the name Yahweh. That's God's personal name. I don't mean to be trite, but it's like that's God's name like Steve. Like that's God's name Yahweh. It's his personal name. He goes, this is my name. Now, what does it mean? It may not mean anything other than a, a just an end, like, I was going to say we're random, but I mean like an arbitrary name. Like it's just a name. God's like, call me Yahweh. But most people believe, most scholars believe, it's related to that verb to be. So when God said, I am, tell him I am. And then he goes, no, 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 you know what? This is going to be my name, Yahweh. It's some version of the verb to be, the third person verb to be. So he says something like this. He goes, tell him I am. See the character? I am. But then he goes, and from generation to generation, I want this to be my name. He is. Yahweh means he is and or he will be. Do you hear the character in it? Because the context of this story is he is our God. He will be what we need him to be. And what is he going to need to be? He's going to be that God who rescues and redeems them and keeps them safe and breaks the chains of the oppressor and leads them to the promised land. He is. That's his name. He is. Isn't that awesome? And 6,823 times Later in the, in, the, in the Bible, God is named, he is, that's his name. So then when the people say, so who are we talking about? Who's your God? The answer is he is. And when we stop and contemplate who our God is and we think about our prayer life, and we think about our journey, we just remember that we serve a God whose name is he is. He is present, he exists, he's real. And because of that, he is then this context. He's a redeemer and a rescuer and a provider. That's who he is. Is that awesome? And Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's about name. It's about the character of God. And his name is, he is. His name is about proclaiming his character. And when we consider his name, we're proclaiming, we're exegeting, we're digging in, we're fight, figuring out all of who God is. Here's a perfect example. Look at this verse in Exodus 34. This is, oh, and I got to tell you this. Okay, I'm probably going to use too much time here, but I got to tell you, I have to tell you this context. So here's, here's the context. This is the context that Moses has been up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments and getting all these other commandments from God and interacting with God. And he comes down and the Israelites have already melted all their jewelry and made a golden calf and they're dancing around it and worshiping this idol. Have you read this? Have you read this story? I missed this story for most of my life. If you're new to this whole deal, you got to go read this stuff. It is, it is so great. And so they, Moses comes down to the mountain and he's like, he is, has talked to me. And he's like, what are you doing? So Moses throws down the Ten Commandments. They break apart in the stone. Then God, Moses has to go back and talk to God. And he goes back before this verse. We were not, this is still context. Before we get to this verse. And so Moses goes back and he talks to God. And he goes, you've been telling me that I'm going to lead your people, but I don't know how I'm going to lead them. Who's going to go with me? How am I going to do this? Have you seen those people? How am I going to do this? And God says this. He says, remember the character? Remember the name? Remember Yahweh? Yahweh means what? He is. 
God says, Moses says, who's going to go with me? And God says, my presence will go with you. That's what's going to happen. My presence will go with you, which is God says, my presence will go with you. And immediately then Moses in this context, in this chapter in Exodus 34, Moses goes, oh God, show me your glory. He gets the character of God in this idea of presence. He gets the character of Yahweh who is, and he goes, God, show me your glory. I want more of you. If you're that present, I want to see you. And do you remember this story? This is then the place where God then is going to go put him. God goes, I can't show you my glory because if you see my glory face to face, you're going to die. And so do you remember this? He puts him in the cleft of a rock, and it says that his, he said, this is what I'll do. Listen to this. I'll pass, I'll let all my goodness, character, you hear it? I'll let all my goodness pass over you. And then, listen, I will proclaim my name. Moses goes, who's going to go with me? God goes, my presence will go with you. And Moses goes, show me your glory. And God says, all my goodness is going to go by you and I will proclaim my name. Name is character. Name is the, is the understanding of who God is. And then this text. So the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, Yahweh. Moses wants to see God and God comes in his presence and just speaks his name. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, and it's in the Hebrew twice, Yahweh. Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Yahweh, Yahweh. Moses goes, I want to see you, God. I want to know you. And God proclaims his name. Come on now. That is awesome. And Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. You hallow his name. You speak his character. You live out his character. That's what you do. This is all about his name. Man, I love this. Can you tell? By the way, this name thing is so great. As we start now to think about what it means to hallow his name, I gotta do this really fast and you may miss out, but I, you, you, this is kind of cool. You gotta see this. When we think about hallowing his name, it's interesting to note the Jewish experience concerning this name, this capital letter name. See, they were concerned, the Jewish people were concerned that they would speak the name in an unworthy manner in some way. I mean, the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments is uh, Exodus 27, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, of Yahweh. You may not misuse the name of Yahweh. Remember, we, we call that take the Lord's name in vain, right? See, it was more than actually saying something other than gosh darn it. It, it was misusing the character, the revealing of who God is. And then there's a verse in Leviticus that says, if you misuse the name, if you profane the name of Yahweh, you shall be put to death. And so the Jews were like, this is a big name. This is an important experience. This is a big deal. And we don't want to misuse the name because it's so holy. And so when they would come across these consonants, Y-H-W-H, it's the Hebrew letters, it's actually, or Y-V-W-H, depending on the, I mean, Y-H-V-H, sorry, depending on the, um, on, uh, on how you uh, write the Hebrew. But these are the Hebrew letters, Yad, He, Vav, He. Okay, this was the continent. See, old Hebrew only had consonants. 
Because the word of God was a word to be read and to be spoken, and so everybody knew how it was pronounced. You just saw the consonants in there, and you knew what the word was. And so they saw these consonants, right? And they saw this word. And when they saw that word, they were so fearful that they would misuse the name because the name was so beautiful and so great and so sacred and so holy. They didn't want to speak the name. So instead, they substituted it with the word Adonai, which is a Jewish uh, Hebrew word, which means Lord. And so they would not say his personal name. They would not say, hey, Steve, hey, Yahweh. They would say, uh, Lord, because they, they didn't want to be in case they misused his name. And so then when they, in the Middle Ages, when they actually finally started putting vowels in the script so that people knew how to pronounce it going forward, they put the vowels of Adonai, you see the vowels in between the consonants? They put the vowels of Adonai, they put vowel points in between these consonants, Y-H-W-H or Y-H-V-H, and it became Yahovah or Jehovah. That's where we get Jehovah. Jehovah's not a real name. Jehovah is a, 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 uh, an English, uh, anglicized version of what these scholars did with a Hebrew word by putting another word's vowels in the middle of it, all so that they would avoid potentially misspeaking the name of God, he was so glorious. Amaze your friends and neighbors at cocktail parties about where the word Jehovah came from. Now you know. But friends, the truth of this experience is the point is that we come from centuries of being called on to honor his holy name. And so that's why this prayer, that's what behind the prayer is, hallowed be your name. How should we pray? Jesus said, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's about his name. It's about his character. Hallowed be that name. What does it mean? It means may your name be honored as sacred. May all that you are be honored and worshiped. Remember, all that you are. This is about character. May all that you are be honored and worshiped. So when we go to the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the kingdom, they will be the pledge of allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Like when you just go through it like that, actually the beginning of the prayer is, wait, your name. It's all of who you are, God. May I exalt it. May you be worshiped. May you be honored. All of your character. Wow, as I start to pray, I gotta stop and think all of who God is. Go to the Psalm 96 verse, Mark, that's there. This is, you see this in, in the name. Ascribe to the Yahweh the glory due his name. Bring an offering to the Lord. Come into his courts. Worship Yahweh in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble him before all the earth. You see that? It's, we're ascribing to his name, to Yahweh, to who he is, the glory that's due the name of him. And that's what hallowed be thy name means. May your name be honored as sacred. May all that you are be honored and worshiped. And so we pray, hallowed be your name. Our praying that is like praying, it's like three different prayers in one. If you sort of parse out, you go, okay, well, let me think about what this, what Jesus said. What's the prayer? It's like three prayers uh, in one. First of all, we're praying, may your name be honored. May you be honored, God. May you be honored. That's the beginning of our prayer. So we're getting practical now. So when we're praying it, what are we saying? We're saying, may you be honored because you're working according to your character. And what I mean by this is, in other words, we're saying, God, hallowed be your name. May your name be honored. We're saying, God, may your name be honored. Like, go live out your name. Like, God, be the God that your name signifies. God, be faithful to who you are. So, God, 
magnify yourself or reveal yourself. Act Yahweh in keeping with your redemptive love and power. So all at the beginning, Lord, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're going, God, act like your name says you are. God, be who we know you are to be. See how it informs our prayer? Live this out, God. And so friends, we pray then, we're really praying the character. We're asking God to come and reveal who he is in those prayer needs. So when we think about our grown kids, when we think about our financial situation, we think about our world, when we think about brokenness, when we think about whether we should go on the Mexico trip, we pray the character of God be revealed in what we're asking him about. It informs our prayers. The second way, it's not only we pray in your name be honored, that way we, we pray your name be honored by the proclamation of God's character. Your kingdom, uh, uh, I mean, uh, hallowed be your name, is saying, God, may you be honored. May your name be lifted up because we're proclaiming who you are. God was always inhabiting the praises of his people. He was always showing up in response to his people saying, yes, God, this is who you are. You are the he is. He is this. He is this. He is this. And this is, friends, that we become worshipers. We're not just prayers. We're worshipers. And so our prayer begins, the Lord's prayer begins by going, oh God, you act like all that you are. And I will proclaim all that you are. I'll speak it. And so that's what we do every Sunday. We come in here and we rehearse these truths about God and we sing these truths about God. We're recognizing his character and we're worshiping him for who he is. We're worshipers. We're proclaiming how big he is and what good news that is and what a redeemer he is and that he is present. He's the object of our worship. By the way, Jesus is the gateway to that. You know that. Jesus is the gateway to that. Jesus, in fact, talk about names. Jesus, God said, he exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's this, we come in as worshipers for God, who he is, what he's done in and through Christ, how he's, how he's manifested himself in Jesus. We're worshipers. That's what we do. That's why we sing these songs. You go, I don't really like music. You can't, you're a worshiper. Well, I don't really have a good voice. We proclaim who he is and that exalts him, that lifts him up. That's what we do. And you're like, I don't really like it. It's who you are. We speak it. We sing it. You can say it like this. You could do the, the, the monotone. But we become worshipers, and so we're engaged. Are you a worshiper of Yahweh and his character? Are you a worshiper of Jesus? And then the third way this, we pray this out, this is how we pray. May your name be honored in my obedience to what we know of you. Hallowed be your name means we lift up your name. May your character be honored. May your name be honored by the way that I live because I'm going to live like you are that present God. You're that great and mighty God. I'm going to live like it. We can't come to the Lord's prayer. We can't come to prayer. Jesus is instructing without saying, is my life living up to measuring up to this character of who God is as our redeemer and our protector and our king and our Lord? Is my life living up to that? is what the prayer is really saying. God, may you be exalted. May your name be glorified in who I am. Because the truth is, and it's a desperate reality, friends, is that God's people forever and ever and ever have profaned his name, which is the opposite of hallowing his name. There's passages in the Old Testament. I don't have time to, to, to read it. We'll skip that 
Ezekiel 36 is one if you're taking notes. These places where God said, listen, listen, people, I've been your redeemer, but you've profaned my name among the nations. And so now I'm going to come to you and I'm going to rescue you even though you've profaned my name and have not honored my name. The opposite of hallowing his name is profaning his name and profaning his name is not cursing. Profaning his name is not living lives that reflect the character of the God that it is that we're talking to. And so it is a terrifying reality for the Jewish people through all those generations and down to us today. It is a terrifying reality that we, Jesus says, this is how you pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It is a terrifying reality then because we have to come before God in this sober mindset and say, is my life reflecting this God that I'm proclaiming? And we should be terrified. We should pause when we get to that part in the Lord's Prayer that we're gonna call on his personal name that he is God and say, am I living according to this redemption, to this grace, to this power, to this majesty? Have I submitted my life to him? That's why the Jewish people were afraid to even speak his name. The good news, though, friends, for us, and you know this, it's the beginning of the verse. The very first words of the prayer, we're working backwards through this sentence, is our Father in heaven. We exalt and make your name sacred. This is our father. This is the context of our relationship with him. The context of our relationship with him is a father and a child relationship. That Jesus called God father is absolutely scandalous in history. The Jewish people didn't do that. They piled upon God's name all these titles and these platitudes. Uh, platitudes, that's too negative of a term. They, they were giving him glory. I want to be positive about it. But the intimacy of a father wasn't embedded in that. And Jesus says, listen, I want to tell you how to pray. Start with our father. We make your name sacred. Our father. And Jesus not only calls God his father and then invites us to do the same. Jesus actually calls him Abba which is an Aramaic word, which means father, but it's the dad father. It's the intimate father. It's the close relationship father. And so this context of our father-son relationship is it appears that this hallowing or this honoring of his name is that we would actually interact with him like a loving dad. So do you see this craziness that there's this contrast between how great is this God Yahweh who is and who is our protector and who is our redeemer and who is the Lord of heaven and earth. This God, a God of wrath, by the way, who has sent, I mean, it is a magnificent story of good news and power and glory. And yet, he's so intimate because he's our dad. Now, I know some of you have problems with the dad concept and I'm sorry, I totally get that. But as we get to know the character and the names of God and understand who he is, we can redeem this concept because this is our perfect father. That's father in heaven. And he's the one that we pray to. And so, come on up, band. Let's worship as we conclude here. But this is how we should pray, Jesus says. Start here, just like this prayer. Our dad we pray not only into his name, we pray the character of God's name over what we pray for, but we pray the loving heart of a perfect father into what it is that we pray for. You see the contrast? Our great 
Yahweh who is and our dad who is present with us. And both of those things honor and lift up his name. So when we pray, friends, we bring all the character of God to bear on that prayer. And we bring all of the perfect loving father relationship to bear on our prayer. He's Yahweh, our dad. Let's respond to the Lord in worship as we move toward our prayer experience.